You are listening to the sermon, Follow Your Feelings, from the sermon series, True Truths and a Lie, by Pastor Phil Lineweber, from Brian Baptist Church, originally taught on Sunday, May 7th, 2023. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Can we thank them for serving this morning and leading us in worship? Pastor Isaiah, our worship pastor, is on vacation. I'm so glad he can get away. We can still just enjoy such an excellent time of singing to the Lord. I don't know what vacation looks like with seven kids, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that sounds like vacation at all, but uh, that's me personally. So uh, we're in a series on uh, true truths and a lie, where we're looking at lies that we believe in our culture and I believe even in our own lives. And uh, if you don't know me, I'm Phil. I'm associate pastor here. Normally, Pastor Dan would be up here, and I got the opportunity to just share the word this morning. But we've been starting this series, every sermon out, with the speaker or uh, staff person coming up and giving two truths and a lie. Have you played this game before? All right, so you guys know how it goes now. I'm going to give you three statements. Two of them are true, and one of them is a lie. All right, so, and I'm a, I'm a great liar, so <laughs> I'm proud of it. Yeah, no, just kidding. We'll see how it goes. All right. <clears throat> First statement. I clear my throat. My wife, Sarah, is the only girl I have ever kissed. Okay. Second statement. I was an NCAA All-American in track and field. Three. I have red-green colorblindness. All right. Hey, no sharing answers. Some of you know. Yeah. So in student ministry, like, oh, I heard that story. Yeah. Uh, all right, how many of you think the first one is the lie? So we're, we're raising our hand if we think it's the lie. Uh, my wife says the only girl I've ever kissed. All right, that many of you really believe that I'm that lame. All right, no, just kidding. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing. Uh, number two, I was an NCAA All-American in track and field. Who thinks that's a lie? Okay, a few. I have red-green colorblindness. How many of you think that's a lie? I actually do have red-green color blindness, so yes, I, I got a lot of you, and Sarah is the only girl I've ever kissed, and I'm proud of that, and I don't regret it at all, so just to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, and I was not an NCAA track and field All-American. I did run, like a lot of you know, but I was not an All-American. I never achieved that, so hey, yeah, that was fun. I got a lot of you. That was fun, yeah, but yeah, red-green color blindness. I've had that since I was born. It's a condition. I think there should be scholarships and such things for people, but um, yeah, and I do have a slide here to demonstrate, because I don't know if you know anything about red-green color blindness. To me, all three of these pictures look the same. No joke. All three of them look identical, I don't know which one's the real picture of what color Skittles are. So if that makes you sad, you can write me a card or something, all right? Uh, but I don't know any different, you know? And so it'll be like, so, so your shirt, after the first service, like everyone's like, oh, so what, what color does your shirt look like to you? It looks red to me because that's all I've ever seen. Like I haven't seen what you see. Literally what I see is not reality. And the difficult thing about something like red-green colorblindness is how your parents figure that out. You know, because at first they just think you're a little slow. <laughs> just picture it. There's like a, a, a red ball, bright red ball in the green grass. And, and mom goes, ball, you know. And then every time I see grass, I'm like, ball. 
No, that's, that's grass. Ball, you know. Like, no, that's not how it is. Thankfully, my brother Joel, who's five years older, is also red, green, colorblind. So they figured out that he was stupid. I mean, that he first, yeah. So, and it was like, but by the time he was nine or ten, they finally asked the doctor, like, he, he's not really, it's not connecting. And they're like, have you done a colorblindness test? And they're like, what? That's a thing? Figured out he was colorblind. So by the time I came along, it was just like, oh, yeah, he's colorblind too. So I got the better end of that stick. So that was good. But, yeah, I don't see the world correctly. You know, you might say, oh, I've had someone ask me, how do you know you don't? Maybe I do. Well, science, I don't know what that means, but science has shown that I don't see the world correctly. I don't see the world as it is. And lies in our culture and in our heart distort our perspective in much the same way, don't they? Lies like optical illusions twist our understanding of reality. This is especially true with the lie we're focusing on today. Follow your feelings. Follow your feelings. I don't know how you feel about this, but it's going to be a rough one, all right? That was a joke. I got, yeah. Um, but before we jump into this and God's word, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak through me this morning. God, that you would give us hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Would you, by the power of your spirit, Lord, open up our eyes to see things as you see them. God, that we would not believe lies in our lives, but we would believe truth. And I ask that you'd help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. All right, the lie is follow your feelings. This is a lie in our culture. If you didn't know that, it is. And I want to demonstrate that with a little interactive example. All right, so I need your help here. Right, you're doing great so far, so just bear with me. I want you to finish the phrase. I'll give you a phrase, and you give, us, give me the last word. Does that make sense? So call it out together. You do. All right. You can do better. That was, that was good. You're one for one. Keep, keep going. Believe in yourself. I should have. That's one of them, I think. Yeah. You have to do whatever it takes to make yourself. There you go. Let your heart be your. Three for three. Yeah. Be true to. Wow. What you got to do whatever your heart desires. If you like Sprite, obey your. If you like Burger King, have it your. There we go. Yeah, you guys nailed it. You got 100%. So you've been fully indoctrinated. <laughs> now we can just close. I'll pray. No. It's a lie in our culture. And you can see by the fact that all of us knew that, we've heard it. We've seen it. We've read it over and over and over again. Do you think that that has maybe influenced our culture and how we think? I would say it has. Feelings and internal impressions are said to be the compass for your life's biggest decisions. Right? I've got to do, I've got to follow my heart. Follow my heart. And this lie, I believe, has found its way into the church. I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? I don't, I don't think God wants me to go serve with preschoolers. Like, there's no way that God would call me to do that, right? Is it really God talking, or is it the fact that you think preschoolers are annoying, right? We follow, even in the church, we follow our feelings. And all of these ideas, all of these things communicate this idea that my internal comfort 
is the primary goal. Following my internal desires is the greatest good. And we want to look at that lie today. We're going to be in Galatians 5. If your Bible, the Bible app, turn there. I want you to see this text because I think it's huge as we seek to understand what do we then do with our emotions, our desires, and our feelings? How do we treat these things as God wants us to treat them? And I believe Paul here in Galatians 5, 16 to 25, refutes this idea that we are to just follow our feelings. All right, Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. We'll start there. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. All right, the context in Galatians is Paul is writing to a church that is still influenced by Judaism, right? Most of the early Christians were Jews, and they believed the way to be a good Christian was to follow the law, all of the law. And what Paul writes in Galatians is, no, no one was ever saved by following the law. And how dare you make non-ethnic Jews treat them like they must obey every jot and tittle of the law. You're not saved by law-keeping. Only Jesus can save. And here Paul anticipates then the next statement, the next question. Well, if I'm not saved by my works, then it doesn't matter how I live. So he anticipates this lie that, oh, well, I'm saved by faith alone through grace alone. I can live it up. And he says, no, don't believe this lie. Your heart is a battleground. You can't just do what you want because in your heart you have desires of the flesh and desires of the what? Spirit. And so your heart, each of us who are in Christ, it's still a battle in our hearts. Your battleground is between sinful desires and spiritual desires. And he refutes this lie that our desires, those emotions in our hearts that we feel, are all all good, are all good. Oh yeah, all my desires are good. And he says, no, some of our desires are actually very bad. They're not even neutral, right? They're, they're actually corrupt. Some of them are innately evil desires that we have in our heart, and we need to not give in to those and actually follow the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. He also, I believe in this, communicates that your desires are not your identity. And I really, I really believe in our culture, as we look around, this is, this is the crux of the problem with follow your feelings. Because it teaches us that this is who I am. My feelings, my desires are my identity. And I think he's presenting that as a lie. If you were to read... The DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is basically the textbook for counselors and secular counseling. If you were to read the article on gender dysphoria, it gives, under every one of these conditions, it gives, on one side, all the symptoms of this condition, and then right following, it would give the treatments for a licensed counselor. 
Listen to, this is again, this is the manual for counseling in our modern age. Listen to all the symptoms of gender dysphoria. That means that you are believing that your biological sex is not your gender. A strong desire to be rid of one's primary or secondary sex characteristics. A strong desire for the primary or secondary sex characteristics of the other gender. A strong desire to be of the other gender. A strong desire to be treated as the other gender. A strong conviction or belief that one has typical feelings and reactions of the other gender. And if you have these symptoms, these five symptoms, and it's five of the six. I didn't hide a bunch more from you. That's it in this manual. If you have five of these for six months or more, you have gender dysphoria. And if you have gender dysphoria, the counselor is then told, this is how you treat them. You affirm them in those desires. This is the manual for secular counseling in our age. If I have a persistent, unrelenting desire, it must be true about who I am. Follow your feelings. You must follow your feelings. How did we get here? How do we get to a place where our desires, our internal feelings, can define our reality? And not just our reality, the reality that everyone else should espouse for us. Well, Carl Truman, if I may recommend him, he's a professor at Grove City, has a book called Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. I highly recommend this book if you're trying to understand how did we get here as a culture. But really it comes down to this idea that our inward self, something he calls the modern self, is supposed to drive everything in your life, including your identity. He says this, the modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings. The modern self, this is what we believe, vast majority of people in our cultures, that the modern self is this, that it's the authority for who I am is found in my inner feelings. Furthermore, authenticity is the highest aim in life. Have you heard that? Be authentic. Be yourself. He writes this, authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. Authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. He says basically, express yourself. That is where the greatest moral good and virtue is, is discover who you are and express that self. And how do you know who you are? Your feelings, your emotions. So we live in a culture that increasingly believes that inner feelings are the basis for expressing your truth, your true self. Now, it'd be, it's easy for me to pick on maybe a more extreme example, one I think we all can relate to or have seen in our culture. But what about in our lives, many of us, and in our churches? I'd say we've been affected by the same lie, follow your feelings. I believe we see in Christianity, in our country, this reality that's believed, it's not a real reality, but it's the primary way I know God is leading me is through my feelings. Do I feel it? 
The Spirit primarily speaks to me through my impressions, urges, and desires. Right? God's presence is only real when I feel it. If I feel that He's close to me. And and this comes out in us saying things like this. That sermon didn't really speak to me. That sermon didn't really speak to me. What do we mean when we say that? I think if we're honest, what we mean is, I didn't feel something. The sermon didn't elicit an emotional response. So therefore, God must not have been it. The truth must not have really mattered in that case. We say, I wasn't feeling the worship. I've been there. I remember a few weeks ago, I was sitting right over here, standing, and there was a song that just wasn't connecting. Full disclosure, right? A pastor doesn't always love to worship. Confession, right? And I remember thinking, ah, well, I'll be engaged maybe the next song. I'll, I'll kind of get with it next time. I'm just not feeling it. And, and I was tempted to blame the people on stage in my heart. It's their fault. Because if they were doing what they're supposed to be doing, I'd be feeling what I'm supposed to be feeling. Follow your feelings. We all struggle with this. We, and I think we live in a consumer-driven culture where churches are evaluated by Google reviews just like Chipotle or the local hotel. Did it meet my needs? Did it make me feel good? Did I enjoy the experience? And again, I'm, in a second, I'm going to talk about feelings are valuable, and God doesn't want us to suppress our feelings. But we have to ask this, are feelings the source for truth? Are feelings the things that should guide us? In the church and out, I would say no. And I would argue that in American Christianity, it's too common that pastors and what they preach is more determined by what they think will cause people to feel good than to tell them the truth. And and there's some good reason for that, because we live in a culture that likes to cancel people who offend or who say unpopular truths. But I pray that I and that here at Berean and that Christianity, in large part, we realize that the role of the pastor is not to make people feel good all the time. And believe me, I was stressed about this sermon all week because I knew there'd be some people here who wouldn't feel so good. And who this maybe touches a little close to home. And that was a heavy weight. But I believe that my calling is to preach the word of God to the people of God by the power of God for the glory of God. And sometimes it's going to hurt my feelings and yours. And it's always meant to be in love. It's always meant to be in love. But you're not really loving someone if you don't tell them the truth. And so we can't always be a slave to our feelings. We had close friends back in Virginia, whose marriage was falling apart. And we were trying to minister to this guy, and his wife had left him, didn't want to come back. There's division in their marriage. And the counsel that she was heeding from her sister, a Christian, a believer, was you need to do whatever it takes to make yourself happy. How is that taking God's word and saying, what is right What is true? What do you want from me in my life? No. What's my guide in my Christian life? It's my heart. It's whatever I feel in the moment. We won't do anything for God that makes us feel uncomfortable. 
I was talking about this sermon with Tim, our resident and Brian kids. He's downstairs right now with a lot of your kids. And he sent me a, a picture of something someone posted on social media, posted by a pastor friend of his. This is what it says. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. And this is a pastor. Now, I'm not about ignoring emotions, but do you see what's at the heart of what he's saying? That our emotions are really the compass for our lives. Trust your feelings, young Padawan. I had to have one Star Wars joke. Thanks, Alex, for laughing. May the fourth be with you, all right? <laughs> We're swimming in a reality that feelings are the drivers in our culture. Okay, this lie that you should just follow your feelings. But Paul here in Galatians says, no, your heart is a battleground. You have sinful desires of the flesh, and you have desires that come from the Lord, which are by the Spirit. And we need to sow, he says in chapter 6, we're not going to look at today, we need to sow to the Spirit and not sow to the flesh. We're filled with divisive desires, competing cravings, and errant emotions. So we can't, we cannot follow our feelings. So what do we do with our feelings then? How do we respond? The first truth, remember the lie is follow your fear, feelings. The truth is, first one, feelings are real but not always true. Feelings are real but not always true. Okay, and I just... Was it killjoy for some of you men in the room? Because you were all excited. You're like, yes, I've been waiting for this sermon. My wife so needs to hear this. Finally, she can hear how her feelings are evil. And she will realize that my way is so much superior, so much more superior. And our, our, our marriage will be so much more peaceful because she will realize that feelings are of the devil. That's not true. We all have emotions, some more than others, some more than others. And feelings and emotions are important. They're created by God. I believe they're part of the image of God, the Imago Dei, right? When God made you like him, I believe emotions are part of that. Uh, God doesn't feel exactly as we feel, but God's word reveals God as a God who does feel. Anger, we see in scripture. Sorrow, grief, we see these things. And again, I don't think it's exactly the same, but part of you being made in the image of God is your feelings, as tainted as they are by sin. God's word does not avoid feelings, but it doesn't elevate feelings above everything else. But over and over again, God's word mentions things like here, desires or wants or pleasures here in Galatians. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Also, that means you can have anger, a righteous anger, and not sin. That anger is just a part of life. But don't take that anger and with it, sin. The Bible speaks to worry and anxiety and fear. And, and even in Jesus' life, we see him over and over again express emotion. We see him lose a dear friend, Lazarus, and we see him grieve and cry. You know, for those of us who have less of a heart, be like, man, suck it up. You know you'll see him again. He was a believer. No. No, Jesus, who never sinned, was perfect, 
he too showed emotion. Paul wrote about despair. 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It's almost a depression that he's feeling. It's like, I despaired of life. So the Bible doesn't ignore emotions. It acknowledges the reality of intense emotion. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he's speaking to people he knew, Jews, who were not in Christ. And he just, he was burdened for them. So emotions are reality of what it is to be human. And feelings, honestly, can be very helpful. Again, God created us with feelings. And feelings can be very helpful. Suppressing and ignoring feelings, talking to the guys mostly, is not healthy. Now, I will say this to the ladies in the room. Don't assume the man is feeling anything. He might just be literally watching the birds flying by, okay? He's not having some deep thoughts about how difficult his life is and how he needs someone to just talk with him, okay? It's okay. Sometimes he might actually not be feeling all the time. But men, we need to learn to acknowledge and understand our feelings, Not ignore them, but acknowledge. Feelings can help reveal deep hurt, trauma, or even abuse. And God wants to work in those lives in the midst of community, in our lives in the midst of community to help us heal from those things. Some of our feelings can capture memories. Have you thought about that? Think about some of those memories that you'll just never lose. If I had to guess, there's a strong emotion tied to that memory. And that can be a gift, right? I think back years now, like over 30 years, I was about six years old playing Old Maid with my grandparents. Okay, does anyone know what Old Maid is? Is that, okay, yay, that makes me feel better. And for some reason, this game of Old Maid was pretty ridiculous. And whoever got the Old Maid, it just was hilarious. And I just remember us crying, literally tears coming down our faces and laughing every time someone got the Old Maid. That's probably not a PC game, by the way, anymore, but I don't know. But it was such a good, and I'll never forget that moment. I I think of my wedding day and, like, the emotion that I felt in that moment or the births of my children. The emotions that you feel can really help capture that memory, can't they? And so they're a gift. Emotions can help us store those core memories. They can also be a source of great pain, Right? Because some of our deepest emotions were felt in the midst of hurt. Feelings can reveal our preferences and God-given design. God allows some of us to really enjoy spicy food. And some of us, like me, Rancho Fiesta's salsa is too spicy, okay? And it needs queso to kind of level it out, all right? But we have feelings. We all have different feelings. And that's part of who God has made us to be. And God can use our feelings. Don't hear what I'm not saying. God can lead us through our feelings. But is that the normal way? And is that the compass that we should look to to find truth and to find God's leading? I would say no. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we can experience sanctified emotion. Emotion like Jesus, where, man, I hope you feel the presence of the Lord in worship. But even when you don't, is he worthy of our worship? Amen. He is. He is. 
Tim Keller in his book Counterfeit Gods talks about how if you want to discover the idols in your life, follow your strongest emotions. Emotions can reveal to us those things that are most important to us. It can also be good things too, like issues of maybe justice or righteousness. And you see something and you feel emotional disdain to see that that happens. That ought not be so. That could be from the Lord. Our feelings are real, but they're not always true. They're not always true. I think Paul, what he, where he goes here in Galatians 5 is arguing that our feelings and desires should be measured by the actions they produce. Our feelings and desires should be measured by the actions they produce. Look, go back to Galatians 5, your Bible open there. Look at verses 18 and following. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our emotions cannot always be trusted, and they need to be measured by what they seek to, pr to produce in your life. Does that make sense? What are your emotions that you're feeling seeking to produce in your life? You don't just follow your feelings blindly, but say, hey, where are these feelings trying to take me? We need to test them, realizing that our emotions cannot always be trusted. Let me give you a fresh example. This morning, my alarm clock went off at 6.15, like it does every morning. Now it was time to get up, and I hit the snooze button. Anyone else guilty of that? Maybe today? Oh, hey, sweet. I'm in good company. But it was more than just hitting the snooze button and wanting a few more minutes. I felt, when I woke up, anxiety, stress, and fear, because I knew I'd be standing up here, and I didn't want to face you all. Don't get me wrong, you're great looking people, you're very nice, you're kind, you know, I have never been hit by any of you, I don't think. Um, but honestly, I was not wanting to do what I'm doing right now. I was not feeling it, you might say. And by the grace of God, I got up, and I went into the dining room, and I put on my headphones, I listened to worship music, and I opened up my Bible, did my last read through of my notes like I normally do, and I said, God, you need to use me. Because I got nothing to bring. And that's not, you might say, that's weird. I, I've talked to many pastors, that is not an uncommon experience. A feeling of complete inadequacy. What if I had followed that feeling? Well, it would have thrown Pastor Dan for a loop, that's for sure. And I might be unemployed, so. But honestly, our feelings, and I think we know this intuitively, our feelings are not always to be trusted, are they? They're very real, but they're not always true. What are your feelings seeking to produce? And in that case, I followed my feelings to see what's behind those feelings. Insecurity, 
I want to be liked. What if they don't like what I have to say? Inadequacy. Fear. What if I offend somebody? What if they get mad at me? Does that make sense? And we all have experienced that. I, I ran track for four years, and many of you in the room are doing sports as well. There's not a time that I went up to the starting line and thought, I got this. I can't wait. Every time I felt nerves. I felt nervous. And what if every time, oh, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not feeling it today. No. I think we know this intuitively, that we cannot be slaves to our emotions. If I have a sexual desire, that's not necessarily wrong. But what behavior is that desire seeking to produce? I might have anger, and that's not necessarily wrong. But what behavior is that anger producing? If I use that anger to destroy things or hurt people, it's wrong. It's sin. It's a sinful desire and craving. But if I use that desire to attack the problem, that frustration to fix a problem... Maybe I'm frustrated with my kids when they misbehave. I, mine do that sometimes. It's not a lot. It's just every day, okay? And I get frustrated because they're misbehaving, and I could use that anger to scream at them or yell at them or do worse, or I could say, you know what? This is frustrating because I'm, I'm seeing sin in your life, and I'm going to address it, and I'm going to call it out and speak truth into your life. Our emotions cannot always be trusted. They're measured by what they seek to produce in our lives. He lists off here a whole list of the good things that, that your, the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life and the bad things that the flesh produces in our life. I think each of us could probably connect to different ones and say, man, I need more peace in my life. This emotion is eliciting unrest all the time. Man, there, there's too much impurity in my life. That's the flesh. I need to put the flesh to death. Our hearts can't always be trusted. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our feelings are real, but they're not always true. This is true of religious experience and feelings as well. Religious experience and feelings occur in Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism, and I'm sure Nazi socialists hearing a speech by Adolf Hitler in Nuremberg felt something. They felt like they were part of some great good that was happening to humanity, ushering in utopia. I'm sure they felt it. To be there with almost a million people yelling in unison. Do you think they felt something? I bet they did. Your feelings are real, but they're not always true. They don't always correspond to reality outside of your experience. So, how do we allow the Spirit to sanctify our feelings? That's the second truth, the third point. The lie is, follow your feelings. The first truth is, your feelings are real, but they're not always true. And lastly, we're to follow the Spirit of Christ, not our feelings. Look at verses 24 and 25 in Galatians 5. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. God speaks directly 
to our emotions, even commanding us to resist certain emotions. And he said, how do you do that? What do we do? And I said, the first thing is know your identity in Christ. Know your identity in Christ. He says, I have crucified the flesh. If you're in Christ, you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does that mean? You say, I still feel things. I still feel sinful desires. It means that the throne has been changed. Sinful desires are no longer in charge of you. You are no longer a slave to your sinful desires. Can I get an amen? You can say no to your sinful desires by the power of the Spirit who is in you. The enemy has been disarmed by the power of Jesus Christ. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and is and has put to death sinful desires in your flesh. So knowing who we are is key. Secondly, knowing who we have. We're given a helper. Scripture calls the Holy Spirit an advocate. He says we are to be led by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us also keep with the Spirit. He said earlier, walk by the Spirit. It's this picture of every step I take, I seek to be indwelt and empowered and, f- and to be filled with the Spirit, to see my emotions through the lens of the Spirit of truth, Jesus called him. In John 16, he says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. I think we live in a culture where our emotions reveal truth. And what we need to continually tell ourselves in the midst of this water that we're swimming in is no. The Spirit, through His Word, reveals truth. A verse many of you know, Psalm 119. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How do you follow the Spirit Let him change your mind and your heart with truth. Jesus prayed for you. Sanctify them in your truth. Praying to the Father. Your word is truth. Remember that passage on spiritual warfare? What's the sword called? The sword of the Spirit. The Spirit uses the truth to sanctify our feelings. The lie is that we should follow our feelings when we're called to follow the Spirit of Christ. We have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. And it fits so well, and I want to explain why. I'll invite the deacons forward and they can begin serving. Because I think back to that count, right, With the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When I think back to that account, think of the the night before his crucifixion. You find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is feeling like he's never felt before. And you see him ask the disciples, pray for me. Pray for me. And pray for yourselves also. And he's feeling this great weight. He knows what's coming. He knows this burden that's coming. And he feels this weight of sin. He says he was sweating. You see anxiety. It's almost like he was experiencing a panic attack in the garden. He's just, it's this weight that he can't bear. And then he says this. If there's any way for you to take this cup away from, this cup of wrath, if there's any way 
Would you do that? Yet, not my will, but thine be done. Your will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. In spite of what Jesus was feeling, he chose to follow the will of the Father. Not his feelings, the will of the Father. I'm so glad that Jesus in his humanity gave us an example in spite of that pressure. You know, in the account of the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, which I'll read in a second, it has this idea to do this, to partake in remembrance of me. What does that word remembrance mean? It's not a difficult question. It means to, to rem- remind, to call to mind. He doesn't say, do this when you feel me. Do this when you feel like you should. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And you remember, Romans 12, how are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was a real man who came into a real body and lived in a real place in a real time for you. And he died a real death on a real cross. And he bodily rose from the dead and conquered death in reality. Those are objective facts. And as you think about why do we do this? Why do we practice the Lord's Supper? And it's not just because Jesus commanded to do this in remembrance of me. It's to remember that our faith is not based upon feelings. It's based upon the reality of a risen Savior who died. His actual body died. Nails were driven through his hands and through his feet for you. That's facts, not feelings. And that's what he wants us to remember as we approach the Lord's Supper. And this is so critical. Because when we look at the cross, the facts of the cross, this is what we see. That when I feel unloved, I can look at the cross and say, I was worth his body and his blood. He loved me enough that he'd sent his only son to die for me. And when I feel like this temptation, this sinful desire, it's not a big deal. God will forgive it. Say, no, it is a big deal. It cost him his life on the cross. It was a big enough deal to the Father that I was deserving of his wrath and Jesus died in my place. And so reorienting, reminding ourselves of the cross is one of the ways the Spirit through truth sanctifies us and makes us like him. And so he said, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's drink together.
when we remember the cross where Jesus died, we remember that he loves us, that he saves us, and he wants to lead us and direct us. This song that we're going to close on is Come Thou Fount. It has a line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. He says over and over again, tune my heart to sing your praise. If you're like me, our emotions, our feelings, they're not always there. But is he worthy? Is he worthy? He's worthy of our honor and our praise and all the glory. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you came down into our mess. And though you felt like us, you never sinned. And show us an example of God, how we can please the Father. And Lord, we ask the same, yet not my will, but thine be done. Lord, would you work in us? Help us to sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh. God, would we say no to sinful desires and yes to the desires of the Spirit? Would you work in us today? Lord, we're prone to wander. We feel it, God. Would you take us? Would you seal us? Would you sanctify us today? In Jesus' name, amen.